turn to John chapter 4, and reading the text today will be a clip from the Gospel of John movie that came out a few years ago. It's a masterpiece, in my opinion. It's word-for-word dramatization of the Gospel of John. I believe it's a good news version, so watch this. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him. He would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men, and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. You are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming. And is already here. When by the power of God's spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is. Offering him the true worship that he wants. God is spirit. And only by the power of his spirit can people worship him as he really is. I know that the Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. I am he. I who am talking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, What do you want? Or asked him, Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town. Come, 
and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left the town and went to Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples were begging Jesus, Teacher, have something to eat. But he answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples started asking among themselves, Could somebody have brought him food? My food is to obey the will of the one who sent me, and to finish the work he gave me to do. Christ was traveling from Judea to Galilee, and separating those two regions of Israel, the land called Samaria. At one time it had all been Israel. And under the reign of Solomon's son, Israel divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom became known as Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judea. And they were conquered by their enemies. The Babylonians came in and, I mean, conquered them. And as they would do in ancient times, they carried majority of their citizens away captive and sent in citizens from other parts of their empire to intermingle with a race to help prevent what they would consider a parallel culture with Babylonian culture. And they watered down their Jewish culture. But for some reason, the people in the region of Judea were able to retain their Jewish culture. And so now, centuries later, they're in the Roman Empire. They have the results of what happened during the Babylonian conquest. That these people in the region of Samaria that divided Galilee from Judea were not true Jews. That they had become interracial with people from other regions of the world and mixed their religions with the religion of Judaism. And so their faith had been contaminated in the eyes of those who were from Judea. And so there became great prejudice between the two groups. The people in Samaria wanted to explore the roots of their faith, so they began to worship on the mountains where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshipped, not realizing that the revelation of God is progressive and that God had, through David, centuries after Abraham, had established his temple in Jerusalem. Well, they built a temple on top of a mountain. Some people from Judea went there and tore that temple down. There was great rivalry between the two. And so here Jesus, a Jew, citizen of Judea, goes straight through their country. Now, many Jews would not go through Samaria. They would go to great lengths to go around it, which was way out of the way. And he goes to a village there at a well where Jacob had dug a well. It's about seven or eight feet across, about 75 feet deep and solid rock. It was near the place where Joseph was buried. And it's here he meets a woman, a Samaritan woman, and has a conversation with her which is unusual because men, especially in the Middle East, must be very careful about talking to women. But Christ didn't yield to that part of their culture. He made a difference. He came to bring life to men and women. Amen? And so he talks not only to a woman, but to a Samaritan woman. And not only to a Samaritan woman, but to a woman that probably was looked down upon in her community. I was thinking about this the other day and wrote these thoughts. Uh, Wells are special places. And if the water at our modern houses ever stops running, we are reminded of just how special wells are. In ancient times and still in today's primitive cultures, wells are not only a necessity of life for those living nearby, they're also a place to meet and greet friends on a daily basis, as well as occasional strangers just passing through. Such is the case here with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Sychar, Samaria. 
Sychar is still there. The well is still there. It's now called Neapolis. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was found at a well by his father's servant. And likewise, Jacob met his bride, Rachel, at a well. But here Jesus meets a woman at a well that many might say would not be fit to be anyone's wife. And yet he ministers life to her and kindness to her and love to her. And she is transformed and no doubt is now a part of his bride. Is God not awesome? Takes us as we are. Makes us his own. I just love the gospel. And so he has a conversation with her about giving a drink of water. She was shocked that a man, a Jewish man, would ask her a woman, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. And so they have this little cultural interchange of a clashing of cultures. And he tells her about water that would be in her. Verse 13, he says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And she says, hey, I want that. Tells her, go bring your husband. And, of course, she says, I have no husband. And, of course, he revealed to her the word of knowledge that he had, that she had been married five times and now was no longer married and was living with a man that she wasn't married to. He didn't condemn her. He just ministered the truth to her. Before the conversation was over, she's running into the village telling people, come see the man. I found the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your life would be ministered to every hearer here today as we attempt to deliver this simple word that you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. She said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now that's the New King James. In the original language, he literally said, I am the one speaking to you. I don't know why the King James jumbled the words up. He said, I am. This is the first of about nine or ten statements of I am in the Gospel of John. I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am is a statement that God told Moses when I have approached Pharaoh and telling him to let my people go, who will I tell them sent me? God said, tell them I am sent me. God is eternally existent. He is the great I am. He is, he was, and he will be. He is, I am. And Christ identified with that identity of God by declaring himself to be I am. I am the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. There's the anointing of priests in the Bible, the anointing of kings, the pouring of oil, the setting apart for a special purpose. So the practice of anointing is a messianic practice. But there was the promise in the Old Testament of the Messiah coming. The first mention of this Messiah is in Deuteronomy 18 where God told Moses he's sending the prophet, not just a prophet, but the prophet who would speak the words of God and those who hear him would be blessed. And so Jesus is declaring himself to be that one, that anointed one, that one who's come to bring blessings. So I would like to speak to you today on Jesus being our Messiah. When she brought people to him, 
from the village, they too said he was a Messiah. In John 4.42, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, or the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know what's amazing? Even though their biblical faith wasn't as accurate as those who were worshiping in Jerusalem, God revealed himself to them. You know, we don't come to God on the basis of our accuracy or our perfection. But upon his mercy. Amen. Their eyes were open. Meanwhile, the priests in Jerusalem were scratching their head, finding out how to kill Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Can we say that? Another messianic promise is Isaiah 61. Jesus read this in his hometown and they tried to kill him. He read it and said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is what he read from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's freedom from prison of any kind. You can be in prison for some crime you committed in the past and be more free than the people outside because you're freed from the shame, freed from your addictions through the Spirit of the Lord that's on the Messiah. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of salvation, amen? Now is the time, today is the day. And the day of vengeance of our God. What is salvation and vengeance doing together? Vengeance is the act of God that is a blessing to us, but is not a blessing to evil. Everywhere you see Jesus healing someone, restoring someone, ministering life to someone like this woman at the well, he is doing damage to the kingdom of darkness. It's an act of war to the enemies of God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And you say transformation? This is the work of the Messiah. This is what Jesus came to do. And this is our work. We are to continue his ministry, to bring life everywhere we go. We've been anointed to bring good news to the poor and healing for those who are brokenhearted and liberty to those who are bound and life to those who are in prison. And to do it now. Well, I'll be kind to someone when I feel led. A few years ago, we gave everyone a fishing weight and said, keep this in your pocket and when you need to feel led, just reach in there and feel that thing. Jesus is the Messiah. Can we proclaim that? In the meantime, when she left him to run and get the people from the village, the disciples came back with food. Remember, they arrived in Samaria at about noon, hottest part of the day, tired. It's about 40 miles from Jerusalem to Sychar. Now, he may not have been in Jerusalem when they left that morning. He left Judea. So they'd walked for several hours anyway. So he's resting, 
and need not drink for his natural body. And the disciples go in to get food from the village. They come back. When they arrive, they saw him talking to her, and then she left to go get people. So in the meantime, they bring this food to him and tell him to eat. Look at his response. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, someone brought him anything to eat. I mean, they're clueless. What is he talking about? He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Have you ever done something that was so fulfilling that you forgot to eat? Just get on a roll. Well, this is what happened with Jesus, but yet it was so much more than that. The purpose he came, the the reason he came to earth as our Messiah wasn't to eat matzah and, you know, lamb chops. That's not the purpose why he came. He came to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work. What was his last words on the cross? It is finished. He came to be the Messiah, to redeem mankind, to heal the brokenhearted, to fulfill Isaiah 61. That was more fulfilling to him than to fill an empty belly. He's hungry to finish his father's work. And he's hungry to quench our spiritual thirst. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In the 70s, during the Jesus movement, we used to sing a chorus. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Yes, i got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, down in my soul. Within us, as believers, resides the Holy Spirit. And with joy, we can draw waters from the well of salvation. Sometimes as believers, we get distracted from the treasure that we have in earthen vessels. We are blinded sometimes through miscommunication or disinformation or false teaching. We are blinded to the sufficiency of Christ, who's more than enough that is in us. Things of the world will not satisfy. Jesus satisfies. And we know it, but sometimes we get tempted to get away from that fact. And it gets us off track and we get away from our purpose of doing the Father's will and finishing the Father's work that He has for us to do and helping other people find their thirst. I'm not done yet. I just want to pause and just breathe a prayer. Lord, I just pray that if anyone here is distracted from the well that You've put in them, Lord, Lord, just uh, quicken us to realize we have a treasure, that we have a light we don't need to put under a basket. Lord, we need to put it on a stand for all to see. Help us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of the joy that you've given us as believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In a few minutes, we'll be out of here. Some will be going home. Some may be going to babes, waiting in line. Some may go to the Gen Rev bake sale down at 
Walmart from 2 to 5 today. How'd you like that commercial? Food is such a blessing. We are blessed to live in this nation. You're in the top 5% of the world's most wealthy people. Probably the top three. But what really should make us hungry is a desire to fulfill the Father's will, to complete the work that he has for us, and to see other people's thirst be quenched. Jesus is the Messiah, hungry to quench our thirst. If you're here today and you don't know him as your Messiah, there's a thirst in you that he will quench. What are we thirsty for as human beings outside of natural water to help keep these bodies lubricated? You've got to have water to live, get dehydrated, you'll die. But spiritually and as human beings, what spiritual reality do we need that we're thirsty for that sometimes we seek fulfilling in things other than knowing the Messiah? We're all thirsty for love. Everybody needs to be loved. This woman at the well, no doubt, was looking for love in all the wrong places. All her exes didn't live in Texas. For hurting, we need healing. Something's missing. We need wholeness. We need the Lord to minister life to us. And many times we try to find healing and relief through things that harm us. That's the tragedy of what an addiction is. It meets a need temporarily only while at the same time creating a greater need. Purpose. Meaning. So many people need a purpose in their life. I don't know what this dear woman was feeling when she met Jesus, but her purpose, no doubt, wasn't being fulfilled. Freedom. Are you bound today? Are you trapped in behaviors that you hate? Are you trapped by fear, phobias? Jesus can quench our thirst for freedom. He can quench our thirst for eternal life. The fear of death is one of the greatest fears of all, and humanity is in bondage to it. Jesus promised all who would receive him, to them he would give the right to become the children of God, to live eternally. Fulfillment, satisfaction. What are you thirsty for? In 1965, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, with their band the Rolling Stones, wrote this little song, I can't get no satisfaction. But I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. When I'm driving in my car and that man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. That's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. While I'm watching my TV, that man comes on to tell me how white my shirts can be. He can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me. I can't get no. Oh, no, no. Satisfaction. 
I can't get no girl reaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. When I'm riding around the world, I'm doing this and I'm signing that. I'm trying to make some girl who tells me, baby, better come back later next week because you see I'm on a losing streak. I can't get no, 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 no satisfaction, though I try and I try and I try. Lord, I pray for every person here that's either not been enjoying quenching of our thirsts that only you can give or we've never experienced that coming from you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would begin to reveal truth to every person here that needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son his best so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but might have everlasting life God gave his son to come to earth to live a perfect life and to confront evil that was in the lives of his people and they killed him for it God allowed it to happen so that his death, the death of an innocent man could be the payment for the sin of the guilty man and woman. And then he rose from the dead and said, this act was for you. Your sin has been paid for. By faith in me, you can be free from your guilt and your shame. And I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you fulfillment. I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you freedom, purpose, healing, and love. Life more abundantly, Jesus said in John 10.10. He came to bring that. 